God. Amen. So, the name of the class is the Old Testament is revealed in the New, and the New Testament is concealed in the Old. And a scripture in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings or the honor for us to reveal or seek out that matter. So that's what we're doing in this class. We're seeking out matters that have been concealed in the Bible the whole time, and um, we're seeing what God wants to reveal to us through revelation. Now, we don't add anything to Scripture. We just explain what it already says. And the only textbook we have for this class is the Bible itself. I teach out of the New King James Version, but if you have any Bible version that you normally use, that's fine. The Scriptures might read somewhat slightly differently, that's all. So today we're going to dig a little deeper and we're going to look at some of the prophecies concerning Messiah to come from the Old Testament and how they were fulfilled in the New Testament. And I'm going to again admonish everyone, don't try and write down notes of things that I'm saying. Just write down the scripture reference and listen to what we're teaching. And you can go back and look at it for yourself later. And many people, even though they're in class in person, go back and listen to the class online and um, get an extra portion of uh, teaching that way. And uh, sometimes I've even gone back months and even years later and listened to sermons that I taught that are available online, and it, and it blesses and ministers to me when I do that. So <laughs> I'm sure other people who preach have, can say the same thing. So the first scripture that I want to look at today is Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Everyone hear me? Yes. It's the uh, Abrahamic covenant. In verse 2 it says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So that's why God blesses us, so we can be a blessing to others. And I've found out throughout the course of my life as I'm in ministry that I can never out-bless God. Amen. I remember the first overseas missionary trip I took was to Kenya in 2007. And I had asked God before I left to give me a supernatural love for the people when I got there. And so we had this grueling trip from, you know, 30-some hours of flights to Nairobi. And then we had a four-hour car ride through roads where the dust was on the roadside bushes up this high because they'd been in a drought and hadn't had any rain, and it was just horrible. It's almost like driving on 470 now with all the construction. And um, we got to our compound where our host had a big beautiful compound where rooms for uh, 20 orphans that they were taking care of plus his whole family visiting pastors and missionaries in a walled community setting and uh, we were exhausted and in the morning we went to his church in Nakuru, Kenya and We were up in front. They were introducing our team. And when I stood up and I looked out at about 800 black faces, I was just filled with an overwhelming love for those people. God answered my prayer. And I said, you know, when before I left my home in Minnesota, my congregation laid hands on me and prayed that I would be a blessing to the people of Kenya And I can see right now that no matter how much I try to bless you, God blesses me more. And that's what this really is about. It's saying that you will be, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And then it says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Ah. 
Well, that's an interesting claim. But let's look at a little deeper into that. Turn to chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. talking about the sign of the covenant. And it says, As for me, that's the Lord, behold, my covenant is with you, then you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And um, when they had Isaac, he became the covenant child for natural and spiritual Israel moving forward. So the all the Jews, spirit, natural Israel people who came out of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob flowed through Isaac. But Abraham also had another son, Ishmael, that he conceived with his wife's handmaiden, Hagar. And out of Ishmael, the entire Arab world that became the religion of Islam came. So now we have the Jewish faith, the Islamic faith. And then it says in Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 6, that Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him several children. And Abraham gave gifts to all his sons, and then he sent them eastward, away from where Isaac was, to the country of the east. And when we were in India, one of our spiritual hosts told us that they believed that the sons of Keturah came to India and preached the gospel and, and were responsible for founding the religion of Hinduism. So the three of the world's greatest religions all came from children of Abraham, just as God had promised. In you, all the nations of the world, all the families of the world will be blessed. Now raise your hand if you knew all that. I didn't know that. Jane Jane and I. I'm just, I'm kidding. (laughs) And uh, let's go back to Genesis 14 for a minute. Is there a question? Uh-huh. I have a question. Yes, Donna. If all of them are blessed, does that mean people that study those religions are blessed? Or go with those if they bless Israel, they are. But remember, he said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. No. Now, when we were in India, we discovered something amazing. They have a supernatural love for Israel when they're born again. It's just palpable. They love the Jewish people in Israel. And when they found out I was a Jewish believer on our first trip in 2011, they treated me like some kind of rock star. It, it, It was embarrassing, and I wasn't used to it. In fact, one pastor got on a motorbike, left his pregnant wife, who was 36 weeks along, and drove two miles over bad dirt roads just to come and see me. Oh, wow. And so I got on the phone with his wife and prayed for them and their child over the phone. (laughs) But, I mean, that's the kind of response that I found. It It was incredible. Now, the Hindu people are persecuting Christians and Muslims in India. The the radical Hindu government that's in existence right now has made it um, very difficult for people like us who go on short-term mission trips to India to be there. The first couple trips we took, we were able to baptize people in outdoor settings in, and have public crusades and outdoor neighborhoods and stuff with hundreds of people. But now, the last time we went, they said, everything you do has to be done in a church building. You can't do anything outside like that. And if you, if you catch the attention of the radicals, they're going to they're gonna come down on you. 
And um, we only went outside of that directive once when we went to a village that we'd been to twice before. The first time it had 45 people in a little church with no walls and no floor. The second time the church had walls and a floor and it was filled with people. And the third time we went, there was no room for all the people. So we had to have an outdoor yeah. meeting as there was over 125 people. Praise God. Yeah. Good. It was like a snowball. But anyway, in on Genesis chapter 14, some of you know the story. It's about Abram and Melchizedek, or as I like to say, Melchizedek. <laughs> and the reason I say it that way is because Melchi in Hebrew means king, and Sedek means righteousness. And what was Melchizedek yeah. but the king of righteousness or the king of Salem? <laughs> And it says in um, Genesis 14, verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So now, the fact that they shared bread and wine and he gave them a tithe or a tenth of all the spoil that Abraham had taken from all the kings in Canaan that he had conquered is the first foreshadow of communion in the Bible. Christian communion actually has its origins in Messianic Judaism. <laughs> and Melchizedek is a Christophany. Many people believe that he was Jesus appearing in human form to Abram. And that Salem is another word for what is the city of God or Jerusalem. Another name for the city of Jerusalem? Yes. It's just short. Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, when Abraham and Isaac went to the mountains of Moriah and he was going to sacrifice Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, he said, God will provide the sacrifice, he told Isaac. And when he was stopped from sacrificing Isaac by the angel of the Lord, who was the Lord, I believe that was Jesus also. And then they found the ram caught in the thicket, it says, by its horns. And, he, and it says he named the place God will provide. It didn't say he named God Jehovah-Jireh, that we all think. Right. It says he named the place God will provide. Wow. And so it's wow. Yira, or provide, Salem, Yerusalem, Yerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah. He named the place, and it became wow. Jerusalem, wow. which means God provides. Wow. <laughs> Another little nugget for you all. So if you want to know where did communion first start, it was way back in the book of Genesis with Abram and Melchizedek. And where did tithing first get mentioned in the Bible? Same place. Yeah. It's nothing new, folks. Yeah. Now there's a uh, interesting Jewish holiday coming up next month called Purim. How many know what Purim is all about? A few of you do. Okay, good. Purim is from the book of Esther. Mm -hmm. And in the book of Esther, they uh, decided to cast lots, or poor, to see when they were going to pick the date to kill all the Jews during the uh, rule of Ahasuerus. And it was because Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman, mm -hmm. And Haman um, decided he was going to kill all the Jews. 
And so they cast Pur, and that's why it's called Purim. And it came out that it was going to be the 13th day of the 12th month. The 13th day of the 12th month. Month of Adar? Hmm? Is it the month of Adar? You can look that up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in, in the current seasonal ending of The Chosen, they're celebrating Purim. Yeah. They, they keep using that term, Adar. Yeah. So I, didn't, I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a story that comes along before that story, and that's what I'm going to get into right now. Okay. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 13, let's look there. Genesis 12, 10 through 13. It says, in the beginning of his kingdom, let's talk about, wait a minute, wrong chapter. Now there was a famine in the land, Genesis 12.10, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. She was his half-sister, but she was also his wife. Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Abram lying to Pharaoh about who is where his wife was and almost bringing sin upon Pharaoh in the sight of God led that Pharaoh, the ruler of the Egyptians, to have a hatred for Abram and his descendants who became the Jews. And that hatred of the Jews passed from Pharaoh to Pharaoh to Pharaoh until the time when the Pharaoh in Exodus had enslaved all the Jews and treated them harshly because he was afraid that they were growing too many and too strong and he needed to keep them down, he needed to keep them enslaved until Moses, their deliverer, came. And then, after God had done all of his judgment on all the gods of Egypt and the Israelites had left, he followed them to kill all of them Mm -hmm. because he had this inherited hatred, and it all started with a lie. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's look at the next one. Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1. Same beginning. There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham Abraham your father. The oath there, that word is covenant. I, I... I will fulfill or perform my covenant that I swore to Abraham. 
I will make your descendants a multiply and all that. But when the men of Gerar asked about his wife, Isaac, out of fear, said, she is my sister. Because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Skip down to verse 10. And Abimelech said, Abimelech is just a name for all the different kings of the Philistines, the same way that Pharaoh is a name for the kings of Egypt. It's not a specific person. It's all the kings of the Philistines were Abimelech. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now the king of the Philistines had the same exact hatred of the descendants of Abraham and Isaac that Pharaoh and Egypt had. And what do we see throughout the Bible but the Philistines warring with Israel? Do we know about the David and Goliath story? But what did the region known as Philistia become even in our day, but the Gaza Strip? And what's happening between the Gaza Strip and Israel is that the terrorists and the Hamas is attacking and warring with Israel even to this day. Thousands of years later, that hatred has prevailed. And it's a double hatred. They hate them because of Ishmael, and they hate them because of Abimelech and the Philistines. So Pharaoh would be, would that be the Arab? Egypt. Just Egypt. Just Egypt, yeah. There, there are Arab peoples in Egypt, but there's other kinds of peoples there too. Some of them are very fair-skinned, some of them are dark-skinned, and some of them are in between. There's all different people groups in Egypt. But that this descent, you know, this generational hatred, this ancestral hatred, right, is all around Israel. Is it part of um, this? We're going to get to there. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Next example is in Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. We all know the story. Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau was firstborn. Jacob was second. But... Uh, Rebecca, their mother, had been given a prophecy that the younger would rule over the older. And so when Isaac was very old and about to die, and was very difficult, he was basically almost blind, she convinced Jacob to masquerade as Esau, and steal the blessing that was due Esau as the firstborn son. So Jacob stole Esau's blessing, and Esau finds out about it. And in verse 35 of Genesis 27, it says, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. This is Isaac. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his his brethren I have given him as servants with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, verse 39, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Verse 41, so Esau hated 
Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau became the Edomites. The Edomites are Arabs who lived in Jordan and the surrounding area, Saudi Arabia, other places. If you remember when the Israelites during the Exodus were trying to get to the Jordan River to cross into the Promised Land, Edom would not allow them to pass through their land because they still had a hatred that came down from Esau. Wow. And when Israel became a nation and all the surrounding countries attacked them the moment they were released from British authority, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, all the countries sent armies in to try and wipe the Jews and Israel off the map. And because of God's miraculous provision, the ragtag Jewish army prevailed and Israel became a nation born in a single day, fulfilling a prophecy from the book of Isaiah where it says, can a nation be born in a single day? And um, after after they lost that war... What's that address, Isaiah? I'll have to look it up. I don't have it in my note right now, but it's in the 60s. So you only need to look at the last six chapters to find it. Anyway, all the refugees who were left behind after that war that were from all those Arab countries, when they wanted to go home, their own country wouldn't take them back. Egypt wouldn't take back the Egyptian soldiers Jordan wouldn't take back Jordanian soldiers. Lebanon wouldn't take back Lebanese soldiers. Syria wouldn't take back Syrian soldiers. And they became what were known as Palestinians. But there was never a people group called Palestinians. It was an artificially created group of refugees that their own countries didn't even want back. Wow. And Yasser Arafat, eventually when he came along, he had a fantastic marketing campaign. Let's make the whole world feel sorry for us and give us billions of dollars that I can line my pockets with because they'll feel sorry for the poor Palestinians who are being oppressed by the evil Israelis. It's all a lie. It's all a dirty, rotten lie from the pit of hell. And anybody who's had sympathy for the poor Palestinians and had hatred for Israel because of it, you need to repent and get down on your knees before God because I will bless those who bless Israel. I will curse those who curse Israel. Right, right. You understand? Amen. That's good. Glory. Genesis chapter 36. We're not to the end of this story yet. I mean, the, the Palestinians, the people, are as much a victim as what the, their leadership Yes, they are, but it's their own leadership that victimizes right. them. Anyone who wanted to live peacefully and be a citizen of Israel was welcome and invited to be. But their own leadership said, we will not recognize Israel has a a right to be a nation, and we will not stop warring against them until we prevail. Mm. Every time they tried to make a peace agreement, there are only two conditions. You have to say that Israel has a right to remain as a sovereign nation for the Jews, and you have to live in peace. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. It wasn't the people, it was the leadership. Mm -hmm. Just like now. I mean, most of the people in China... And Russia are innocent, and some of them are Christians, and they love the Lord, but their leadership are doing terrible things in the world. Mm -hmm. But they're not to blame, not the people aren't to blame, the leaders are. Right. And when millions of dollars flow into Palestine, the leaders line their pockets, and the people get nothing. 
And then they're used as human shields to protect the terrorists who build their weapon arsenals in hospitals and children's schools and orphanages and things like that so that when if they do get attacked, they'll be able to get the international community to condemn Israel for collateral damage. So chapter 36 of Genesis. Now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Down to verse 12, Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek. So Amalek is the grandson of Esau. And uh, in the Exodus... When the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea and they were wandering through the wilderness, they were being attacked by the Amalekites. But they didn't, they, what they did is they waited for old people and stragglers and wound and people who weren't kind of keeping up with the group. And they attacked from behind like a pack of wolves, the Bible says. And then they finally had a, a, a down and out war. Moses stood up on the hill holding his staff up in the air, and when he did, Joshua and the Israelite armies would prevail. When his arm got tired and fell down, then the Amalekites would start to rally. So they had two guys assigned to hold his arm up until the war was won, and they were, God said, you have to wipe every Amalekite off the face of the earth. I will war against Amalek throughout all generations. Mm. Because he knew what was in their heart. They wanted to kill all the Jews because they inherited hatred through Amalek from Esau for all the descendants of Jacob. Wow. And it was the same thing, lie and deceit, every time. Then you go to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And Saul was, King Saul was charged with defeating the Amalekites. And he was told to wipe out every last man, woman, and child and all of their livestock. Don't leave anything alive. After they won the war, they saw that they had some really cool stuff. So he left King Agog of the Amalekites and some of the best stuff for his troops and his his warriors, to have a spoil. Samuel came and said, What have you done? You didn't obey the voice of the Lord your God, and now he's removing his anointing from you, and you're no longer going to be king over Israel. And he eventually slayed Agag. Samuel himself slayed Agag, because Saul failed in his mission. Then you get to the book of Esther. Which brings us to Purim. I needed to set the groundwork for this. But in the book of Esther, chapter 3, verse 1, Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. When it says that Haman was an Agagite, it means he was a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites, who was a descendant of Amalek, who was a descendant of Esau. And what did Haman have in his heart but a desire to kill all the Jews? Same thing. So they cast poor, and it came out to the 13th day of the 12th month. Then this year, Purim is uh, March 6th and 7th, or 7th and 8th. It always, every day starts at sundown, and then goes to sundown the next day. Well, moving forward throughout history. A guy came along during World War II named Adolf Hitler. Adolf means wolf. Remember the Amalekites attacked like a pack of wolves, the Bible said. And the wolf, Adolf Hitler, 
wanted to kill all the Jews. That was his solution to everything. Kill all the Jews. Well, when the Allies won World War II and Hitler was allegedly killed in a bunker in Berlin, they they brought Nazi war criminals to Nuremberg to be tried. Remember the movie The Judgment at Nuremberg? Well, when Haman had erected gallows on which he was going to hang Mordecai and the Jewish leaders in the capital city in the time of Ahasuerus, and there was exactly ten sons of Haman and Haman himself who were hung on the very gallows that he erected for Mordecai and the Jews. Mm. And in the trial at Nuremberg, it, it came to the point where there were 10 Nazi war criminals who were hung in 1946 at Nuremberg, the same number as the sons of Haman who were hung in the Bible and the book of Esther. And it was on Purim in that year in 1946, the same day that the sons of Haman were hung in the Bible was the day that the Nazi war criminals were hung in Nuremberg in world during World War in 1946, which was the year I was born. Saddam Hussein, another leader, wanted to kill all the Jews. After Desert Storm, when Iraq was defeated and the statue of Saddam was pulled down in Baghdad, he went into hiding. A prophet named Dutch Sheets. How many of you have heard of Dutch Sheets? He went to this regiment in Texas before they were sent over to Iraq, and he prophesied, you are going to be the ones who are going to discover Saddam Hussein and capture him when you get there. Sure enough, that very regiment were touring this farm in rural Iraq when they found him in a hidey hole, hiding under the ground, and the day they captured him was December 13th of our calendar. Wow. The 13th day of the 12th month. It's not the same day. The Bible was talking about the Hebrew calendar. This is from our calendar. But God can't be put in a box. There's no yeah. coincidence. Right. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so there's a law. Einstein said that, by the way. Albert Einstein. So there's a law of sowing and reaping. And the reason that all these different people groups had hatred for the Jews was because of the lies of un, because of the sin of unrepenting lies. No one was ever said to have repented for lying to those different people groups. No one ever sought God's forgiveness. Mm. We live in a new covenant where when we sin, if we confess our sins, he's Mm -hmm. faithful to forgive us of all of our sins and remember them no more. But the unrepented sins of the forefathers cause hatred for all of their descendants from all of the descendants of all the people groups that they lied to and sinned against. And it's gone on to this day. Never stopped. So they could still repent. The leadership. Somebody could, I suppose, if they were believers. There's been an awful lot between the the Amish going over because of the Reformation. A lot of forgiveness, especially where we're from. So Jacob... And Rebecca, his mother, deceived Isaac and Esau, was cheated out of his birthright and blessing. But in the same way, Laban and his daughter Leah deceived Jacob, and he had to work for Laban seven more years before he could marry his true love, Rachel, while married to Leah that he wanted to unload first. And there was very poor lighting in those days. They they were people, um, women wore veils. 
And it was easy for the, it was easy for Jacob to fool Isaac because of his poor vision, but it was just as easy for Laban and Leah to fool Jacob because of lighting and veils, and he believed he was taking Rebekah as his wife, but it was Leah. Mm-hmm. Leah cooperated with her father's deception, just as Jacob cooperated with his mother's scheme to deceive Isaac. Mm, wow. Rebekah yeah. and Laban were brother and sister, apples from the same tree. Mm. Lies and deception have serious consequences for the forefathers of our faith and all the Jewish people ever since. It's sad. Yeah. Okay, we can move on from that now. This is another thing I wanted to get into today, and I'm sure we won't complete it today, but these are prophecies concerning Messiah who was to come that are contained in the Old Testament, and I'm going to show you where they were fulfilled in the New Testament for each one of them. In um, Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, it says, The Lord went before them by day. In my Bible, it's El capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When when the Lord is capitalized, it always means the covenant name of God. Yud-Heh-Vav-Heh, the covenant name of God, which we say Yahweh or Jehovah or Yehovah, but I believe that in these Old Testament scriptures, it's really Jesus that they're talking about. He's the one who appears in human form. He's the one who intervenes on behalf of his chosen people before he was incarnated. He's the aspect of God that is God's body, in other words. He's the one who can appear in human form. And so it says, The Lord went before them by day, the Israelites, in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now remember when we were talking in previous classes about Genesis chapter 15 and verse 17, when God made covenant with Abram, verse 17 of Genesis 15, it says, It came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the pieces of the blood covenant. And on that same, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, telling him the, all the land he was going to be given and all the things that God was going to do for him. And I said that that pillar or that flaming torch represents Jesus. You all remember that? Yeah. And now we're seeing here that this pillar of fire that led them by night is Jesus also in the book of Exodus. So let's go to Psalm chapter 9. Psalm 9, verses 19 and 20. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. It's a prophecy. A lot of people think it's a messianic prophecy. And in Matthew 25, it says that the Son of Man would come to judge the nations. He'd put the goat nations on his left hand and the sheep nations on his right hand, and he would judge the nations. Verse 19, let the nations be judged in your sight. And in Matthew 25, Jesus came to judge the nations. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? 
the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. In Hebrew, that word is Mashiach or Messiah. Against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress or terrify them in his deep displeasure. That I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So the anointed one in verse 2 is the same person who's going to be God's king that he sets on his holy hill in Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So the Messiah, who was also going to be the king in Israel, is also God's son. Who could that possibly be but Jesus? Yeah. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possessions. And then verse 10, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. doesn't mean kiss him. It means show him proper reverence and respect. Mm-hmm. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Now turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. Revelation 6, 15 through 17. And the kings of the earth, the great mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Isn't that exactly what he was talking about in Psalm 2? The kings of the earth will hide themselves, they'll tremble in fear. You don't want to anger God. (laughs) We talked about Psalm 8 where it said that out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength. And then in Matthew 21, verses 14 through 16, when Jesus quoted it, he said, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. And we talked about that. And we talked about how they said, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David, and how the word Hosanna literally means save now. Go back to the book of Psalms, Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Those of you who weren't in those previous classes, you can hear it online if you want to. Psalm chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, that means the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 and verse 10 It says that the Messiah, the suffering Messiah, shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And that's talking about, those verses are talking about the resurrection of Messiah, that Messiah would be resurrected. He wouldn't stay in the grave. He wouldn't decompose in the grave. He would be resurrected. And the fulfillment of that can be found in the Gospels, but I'm just going to give you one example, Matthew 28, verses 6 and 7. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 28, verses 6 and 7. The women came to look at, to, to, to uh, anoint the body of Yeshua for, for his burial, and it found the stone rolled away and an angel there. And he, they, the angel said in verse 6, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. So Psalm 16 predicted that the Messiah would not remain in the grave. He would not allow his body to see corruption. Isaiah 53.10 said the same thing. And then the fulfillment was in Matthew 28 and other Gospels where he said, Look, here he's risen. He's not here. Psalm 22, another powerful messianic psalm. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Well, when Jesus was on the cross, didn't he say those exact words? Yeah. Eli, Eli, lama samakani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here it was predicted hundreds of years before the fact by, the, by David, King David, in Psalm 22. Let's go to verse 6. Well, actually, let's just skip to verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. That's a spiritual saying. It was the the, the demons of hell had actually, were actually surrounding the crucifixion of site where Jesus was crucified, just just clamoring for his body to be taken to hell or so they could torment him because wow. they thought they had won. Wow. Satan thought he had won a great victory. Mm-hmm. So it says, the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. And the congregation of the wicked is the demons of hell who are ministers of Satan. They pierced my hands and my feet. Mm -hmm. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So talking about the crucifixion of the Messiah. Matthew, let's go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. Matthew 27, verse 35. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, which is just what we read from Psalm 22, verse 18. Then it says, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and and appeared to many. So when the Roman centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. So his death, burial, resurrection, that they cast lots for his clothing, All of those things were predicted in that one psalm, the verses that we read. Also, we can look in Mark chapter 15, verse 24 of Mark chapter 15. 
When they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. And then Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. Luke 23, 33 and 34. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the on the, and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Finally, John chapter 19, Gospel of John chapter 19, verses 36 and 37. Well, let's start with... Um, Verse 24, 23 and 24, The soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Then on verse 36, all these things were done that the scripture be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. Because it was the Sabbath and they wanted the bodies to be down off of the cross before sundown, they came and broke the legs of the two thieves on either side of Jesus and made sure they were dead. But when they came to him, he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. And one of the soldiers thrust a spear into his side and water and blood came out. That also was another proof that he was dead. And that said, these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, which we had just read in Psalm 22, not one of his bones shall be broken, and they shall look on him whom they pierced. Now Messiah being pierced was in Zechariah 12:10. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. And then Psalm 34. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 20. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Okay. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. So there's lots of different things about the Messiah would be pierced, and the fulfillment of it came in the scriptures we read in John. Um, I think I'm going to stop there for today and uh, I want to leave time for questions. Uh, I have some more of this kind of thing. Are you getting something out of all this? Yes. We have a little more like this if we want to finish it up next week. And then I have some other things that I want to get into, which I think are really going to bless you. One is about the fear of the Lord. Another is about the knowledge of God. And um, I have a teaching about works. We'll see if we want to include that. This is class number six. My thinking that is I'm going to have to go at least 10 weeks and maybe even 12. Very good. Okay. Yeah. So who has questions on things we covered today or in the past?
Just in 12 weeks. Would that be up right to uh, the, the Sayer? I don't know. I haven't counted that far ahead. <laughs> yes. And you, when you were talking about the, um, the sin of the unrepented lies and how it descends and descends, I couldn't help but think of how that could explain the racial divide in the U.S., that we had these sins against them and nobody stood up. We, first, we tried to get, you know, we've, we've done a lot to... Um, not acknowledge it at all, and now we're acknowledging it. But has there, you know, I'm wondering if it has the same kind of root to it because it complexes me that we continue with this. I don't believe that because, first of all, Congress passed the Civil Rights Equality Act in the '60s, and um, there ha there has been a lot of. different people groups repenting in different parts of the country for things that were done against black people, against Native Americans, against Jews who were persecuted. So I don't think it's the same. I think the reason that things appear to be getting worse is because the liberal left leadership has lied and promoted racism for their own political reasons, and it has nothing to do with what's actually happening in our country. They are the ones who are racist, but they accuse everyone else of being right, racist. Yeah, right, right. In fact, yeah. if you look at 100% of what they say, they're really accusing everybody else of what they themselves are guilty of. Yeah. And um, I like to say, when you point the finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So I think the state of racism in the United States is due to political narrative and has nothing to do with the attitude of the average American people. Right. And we've lived in the South in three different states, and we found black people and white people who love each other, who get along as brother and sister. They love the Lord. Yep. And there's, there's nothing like it used to be in the 50s and 40s and 60s. And we lived in Alabama where some of the worst racism events happened, and that, that's all been atoned for. I myself was part of an event in Minneapolis where – there was a Native American representative, a black representative, and I was representing the Jewish people. And there were pastors and people from churches from all over the state. And the chaplain for the entire legislature of the, of, of the state of Minnesota named Dan Hall got down on his knees and washed our feet and repented that Minnesota had had sinned against Jews, blacks, and Native Americans. And um, the, all the pastors and everybody, they wrapped a big Indian blanket around us and surrounded us and prayed for us and repented. And we were just in tears. It was wow. so such a moving event. Yeah. And that was in the late, that was in the early, that was in about the mid-2000s that that happened. So I've experienced repentance in different areas, and I don't mm -hmm. think it's the same at all. Paula? 100%. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, the church I was in before, the bishop also was over Harvest International Ministerial Fellowship, thousands of pastors around the world. And when we would have our conference, they would come in. One of the most powerful moments was when a group of African pastors, black African black pastors, stood up in the group and asked for forgiveness for their part in slavery. It's something you never hear of, like you said, all these things. When you buy into the narrative of the media, you don't see those things. But it was a powerful moment of asking for forgiveness for their part in slavery. Mm. Thanks for that. Other people with questions? Some of this uh, lies being called truth and truth being called lies is fulfilling a prophecy that's in the Bible, too. Yes. For end times. I have in mind to possibly do a class on things in the Bible that are being played out in our 
world mm. right now. That's good. Yeah. And it's, it's not officially what the theme of this class is, but it's similar in that there's things in the Bible that if we read them and understand how they apply to what's happening in our world today, we will be better informed right. than we are without that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to share some of that with you, but let's get through some of the other stuff pertaining to this class first, and I'll save that for the end. Sounds great. Yeah. But I do have that in mind, and I'm, I'm, I'm locked and loaded and ready to go on. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm learning new things all the time, and uh, the more I learn, the more excited I get, because I think we're coming into a time that's going to be the best time we've ever seen in our lives. Amen. Amen. And what the narrative in the world is, is that things are getting darker and darker, and we're just going to go under the tribulation and turn the whole world over to Satan. No! No! That's not going to happen. The church is going to arise victorious, and we were going to see the greatest days we've ever seen. And um, when God pours out his glory and his power and his anointing, It'll happen on believers who are on board with his narrative and not the world's narrative. Yes, amen. Amen. That's all I'm going to say about that for now. So God bless you. Thank you for your patience and your participation with questions and everything. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.